welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles, James chapter 3. There is a weapon that is more powerful than any other weapon known to man. It's been in existence since the creation of mankind. It has been known to start wars, ruin friendships, spar national revolutions. It's killed more, ruined more reputations, wrecked more homes, split more churches, driven more men out of the ministry, and caused more hatred than any other weapon in the world. Contrary to popular opinion, the most powerful weapon on this earth is not a nuclear weapon, nor is it a laser pointed from the space. It's not even a weapon made by man. It's concealed as a sniper. It's quick as a bullet and deadly as a gun. It's the three-inch animal that lives in a pool of saliva behind an ivory cage of teeth known as the tongue. Today, you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. Today is the Sermon on the Mouth. (laughs) Look what James has to say. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect or mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires." Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed And has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and a bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. It's crazy that something that's less than three ounces can totally wreck your life and a multitude of other people. There's a lady who heard a sermon on this passage. She came down. She was known as the biggest gossip 
uh, in the town, and she got convicted during the church service. She came down during the invitation time, the altar call, and said, I know what I've been doing is wrong. I feel convicted. I want to... Uh, and the pastor said, well, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to lay my tongue on the altar. <laughs> he said, well, I'm sorry, we can't help you. Our altar's only 20 feet long. <laughs> In an old English churchyard is a slate tombstone. It says this, beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. You see, James talks about the tongue more than any other New Testament writer. In fact, every chapter in the book of James has a verse or two concerning our speech, our tongue, our mouth. For example, back in chapter 1, verse 26, if any of you, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is useless. He really sees the importance of this. You know, the tongue is you in a unique way. It's a tattletale that tells on the heart. It discloses the real person. Not only that, but misuse of the tongue is perhaps the easiest way to sin. You know, there are some sins in the world you're never going to get to commit because you're not ever going to have the opportunity to do it. But when it comes to the tongue, there's multiple ways. There's no limits. There's no built-in restraints or boundaries. Listen to some of the words that describe the tongue in the Bible. Wicked, deceitful, perverse, filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, gossiping, blasphemous, foolish, boasting, complaining, cursing, contentious, sensual, and vile. And that list is not exhaustive. It's no wonder God puts our tongue in a cage. It's walled in behind teeth, walled in by the mouth. Another figure, using that same figure, and somebody observed because the tongue is in a wet place. It slips all the time. Well, let's talk about it for a moment. He begins by mentioning the demanding position of the teacher. Teachers talk for a living. The word teacher here is rabbi, or it's also used for great one. And the power and prestige associated with the office caused many people to want to be one. And James is saying, look, don't be so quick to want to be a teacher because you're going to be held to a higher standard. You're under stricter judgment. There's got to be integrity behind the teaching. You know, if you go to a doctor who neglects his health or an accountant who cannot balance a checkbook or a lawyer who's in trouble with the law, that contradicts what they stand for. But a Christian teacher or a, a person who's, who's expounding the Word of God or teaching the Word of God, if they can't control their tongue... There's something wrong. Now, listen, let's get it out here in the open. Nobody's perfect. And, there are, and, and, and nobody, you, you don't wait till you're perfect to be a teacher. I thank God for the Sunday school teachers, the life group teachers we have. I want to tell you, they study a lot. They study a lot. And study is hard work. Don't ever come in and say, what are you doing? Well, I'm studying. Oh, well, if that's the case, let me talk to you. Let me tell you, study's hard work. Do you remember doing research papers? 
Do you remember doing research papers? Y'all got it all walled up today, don't you? <laughs> Keep it in. That's what the teachers are doing every week. He also said one sure sign of Christian maturity is that you're able to control your tongue more. That word perfect means mature. And some of Jesus' most harsh words were to the Pharisees who were the religious leaders who were supposedly the teachers of the word. They were actually making up laws. But listen to what he said in Matthew 23. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, they observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You lead by example. The word perfect is a banking term that pictures a note that's become due, that's matured, and thus the man who thinks he... He, he may stumble in a lot of areas, but one thing you've got to really be able to do is to control your tongue. Wish I could say I was perfect at it, but I'm not. Nobody's perfect at it. But one sure sign that you're growing in the Lord as you begin to learn when to say something and when not to. So with that in mind, there's a couple of things to remember there. You've got to remember integrity needs to be behind the teaching. And also, control of the tongue is a characteristic that you're beginning to grow in the Lord, that you're maturing in the Lord. And with that subject, he then begins to talk about the tongue, and he talks about the diverse potential of the tongue. The tongue has potential, but it can go good or bad. You know, words are powerful. The Lord's Prayer is 56 words. Gettysburg Address, 266 words. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, 297 words. Declaration of Independence, 300 words. <laughs> A U.S. government order to set the price of cabbage, 26,911 words. That pretty much typifies the federal government. The average length of a human tongue is a little over three inches and weighs about two and a half ounces. Verse 5 says it is a small member, but it is powerful. And see, there's two sides of this coin. First, there's the capability to direct. There's controlled speech. Verse 3 Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look at ships. Although they're so large and driven by the fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. You see, it has, we have the capability to help. It has the capability to guide. I love you. You're important to me. Thank you so much. How can I repay you? You look nice today. I like your new haircut. Great job. This place wouldn't be the same without you. I'm proud of you. You're irreplaceable. Now, what happens to you when you hear words like that? Does it change your mind? Does it change your heart? 
James, this is going to be the quietest sermon I've ever preached from y'all's sake. Of James said, James said, we put bits in horses' mouths. The largest horse on record was born in 1846 in the county of Bedfordshire in England. Samson, they named him Samson, and at four years old weighed 3,360 pounds. Now, to give you an idea by comparison, a Honda Civic, 2022 Honda Civic weighs 2,877 to 3,077 pounds, depending on the model of it. He was seven feet tall. 21.25 21.25 hands. Now, the average horse, I think, we got some horse folks in here. They, you know, 12 to 17 maybe, I guess. 21.25, and due to his unbelievable size, they, he earned the nickname Mammoth. But you know what? You could put a 100-pound jockey on the back of him, with, and he could turn that horse anywhere he wanted him to go because of the bit in his mouth. Ships. We have some big ships today. One of the ships I read about, one of the aircraft carriers, weighs 2 million pounds. I don't know how it floats. Has two rudders on it. Each one weighs 10,000 pounds. And you think, well, that's a big rudder, 10,000 pounds. But compared to 2 million pounds, it's really pretty small. Doesn't take much to turn a ship, the rudder. You put a 150-pound person behind the wheel or the steer that ship, and it can go anywhere he wants it to go. And James says in the very same fashion, the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. It's small, but it's powerful. It can guide. It can direct. It can lead. It can encourage. It can build up. I don't know who wrote this. But wouldn't this whole world be better if folks we meet would say, I know something good about you and treat you that way? Wouldn't it be fine and dandy? If each hand clasped warm and true carried with it this assurance, I know something good about you, wouldn't life be lots more happy? If the good that's in us all were the only thing about us that folks bothered to recall, wouldn't life be lots more happy? If we praise the good we see, for there's a lot of goodness in the worst of you and me, Wouldn't it be nice to practice that fine art of thinking, too? You know something good about me. I know something good about you. It can mean so much to people by just what you say to them. It can guide. It has the capability to direct and lead in the right direction. But the flip side of that, it has the capacity to destroy Careless speech. I hate you. You disgust me. I wish you'd never been born. I wish you were dead. You make me sick. I want a divorce. Nobody cares about you. I'll never speak to you again. Boy, that changes everything, doesn't it? It's small, but it achieves big things. He says in verse 5, it It's a little member boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire in a world of iniquity. It's so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. It's so small, but yet so damaging. 
me tell you about another 9-11. September the 11th, 1995. A squirrel climbed out on the Metro North Railroad power lines near New York City. It set off an electrical surge which weakened an overhead bracket which then let a wire dangle down toward the tracks which tangled in a train which tore down all the lines. And as a result, 47,000 commuters were stuck in Manhattan for several hours that evening from a squirrel. That's the way the tongue is. It says it's like a fire. You know, fire control is a good thing. Aren't you glad the last two days you've had fire? You warm with it. You cook with it. It's a good thing. But when it gets out of control, man, it destroys everything. The average person spends one-fifth of his life talking. Now, at least that's what statistics say. If all of our words were put into print, the result would be this. A single day's words would fill up a 50-page book, while in a year's time, the average person's word would fill 132 books of 200 pages each. 700 sentences a day, 100,000 words a day. And among all those words, there are bound to be some spoken in anger, carelessness, or haste. I had one man say one time, my wife speaks twice as many words as I do. And she said, well, it's because I have to repeat everything to you. <laughs> my wife can relate to that. It's interesting, scientists tell us that sound waves, once you say you speak sound waves, did you know they never stop? Never. Now, I know they can be blocked, but if they get out into space, they're still going. Isn't that encouraging? Because if we had equipment sophisticated enough to somehow get out there in front of those sound waves, you could hear it again. Actually, that may be what God, when Jesus met in Matthew 12, 36, when he says, every careless word that people speak, they will give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. The tongue is a torch. It's like a spark in a forest of dead trees. You can put the fire out, but the damage is done. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 27, an ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. How many times has a careless word set a church ablaze? or has burned up a long-time friendship, or has scorched and seared the heart of an individual forever. Listen, you don't have the right to say bad things to other people if, they're, if you're trying to help direct them, but, but just careless words really damage people, don't they? Galatians 5.15 is one of the strangest verses in the Scripture. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. It's one of the most unusual verses because it sounds like cannibal Christianity. Let's just devour one another. But they're doing it by their words, condemning one another. 
You have to be careful. One lady said, listen carefully because I can only tell you this once. I promise not to repeat it. One man said, I lost a little word just the other day. It was a very naughty word I had not meant to say. But then it was not really lost when from my lips it flew. My little brother picked it up. Now he says it too. Verse 6 says it sets on fire. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, the cycle. The word sets is habitually, it's perpetually. You have to be careful what you say. It starts things. I, I worked in the grocery store when I was in high school for two years. And worked on all different kinds of apartments and you departments in the store and you meet some interesting people to say the least produce department you're in there putting all the vegetables and stuff out well i read of a young man it was his first day on the job they put him in the produce department he's in there putting out produce on the shelves and a lady walks up to him and says i want to buy half a head of lettuce he said, ma'am, we, we don't sell a half a head. Well, I, that's all I want. I just want to buy a half a head of lettuce. He said, well, I have to go ask the manager. So he turns to go back to the back of the store, unknowing that the woman is right behind him. And he walks back there, and he said, hey, boss, there's some stupid old bag out there that wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. And what should I tell her? And seeing the horrified look on the face of the manager, he turned around and said, and this nice lady wants to buy the other half of that lettuce. <laughs> Later on that day, the manager was complimenting him on how quickly he thought. And he said, today's your first day, isn't it? Yeah. He said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Toronto, Canada, the home of beautiful hockey players and ugly women. <laughs> the manager looked at him and said, my wife is from Toronto. He said, really, what team did she play for? <laughs> Listen, you just got to be careful what you say. Karen Carpenter, y'all remember her? Beautiful voice, real unique voice. She and Richard formed a, well, they were brother and sister, and they were a singing duo, popular singing duo in the 70s and early 80s, known as the Carpenters. You still hear them played. She died in 1983, February of 1983, of heart failure that was brought on by years of self-abuse from an eating disorder, anorexia nervosa. But what brought on that eating disorder? Because a musical reviewer writing about her when they got started said, she is Richard's chubby sister. And as a result, she killed herself basically by not eating. Words are powerful. Why, why do you walk up to somebody and say, you're putting on a few pounds. <laughs> Golly, I would have never known that. <laughs> How did that happen? 
seriously, folks. Some of y'all say the dumbest things to people. You do. And don't think it doesn't bother them. I want to, you know what I want to say? I want to say, well, you're ugly, and I can go on a diet. <laughs> but I don't. Right? You know, I still have scars from middle school. I won't, I won't tell you some of the names I was called. It had to do with some physical features. And it sticks with you all your life. It does. Quit saying that stuff. Why, why do you think you have, and the older you get, the filters come off. Just because you're old doesn't give you the right to say what you think. I'm, I'm off track here. Let me get back on here. You, I could write up, you can't believe what people have said to me over the years, but I'm not going to tell you. Sets on fire the course of nature, the cycle of life, and the word fires of hell, it means Gehenna. It's the source of all of it. I like what George Sweeting said, contentious tongues have hindered the work of God a thousand times over. Critical tongues have closed church doors. Careless tongues have broken the hearts and health of many pastors. The sins of the tongue have besmirched the pure white garments of the bride of Christ. Verse 8 says it's untamable. We've tamed all the animals. It's full of poison. I've never been bitten by a snake. I hope it never happens. Killed a lot of them. Never been bitten, but I understand, I've been told, and I don't know that it's completely true, but I've been told that if you're going to be bitten by a snake, you want to be bitten by an old one, a big one, not a little one. And the reason is, a little one is going to bite you and give him all the poison you got. He's got, going to give you all the poison he has, whereas a big one, it's going to bite you and save a little more for later. But I'm going to tell you, if I'm bitten either way, I'm probably going to die regardless. <laughs> you don't have to poison a lot to hurt someone. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let me give you the antidote to that. Here's the antidote. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You want the grace of God, give grace to other people. In 1899, this is a true story. In 1899, there were four newspaper reporters that by chance met on a Saturday night at the Denver Railway Depot. Al Stevens, Jack Turney, John Lewis, Hal Wilshire. They represented four Denver newspapers, the Post, the Times, the Republican, the Rocky Mountain News. And each one had been sent by his respective newspaper to dig up a story 
any story for the Sunday edition. So the reporters were in the railroad station hoping they might snag a visiting celebrity, one that should happen to arrive on the evening train, but none arrived that evening by train or otherwise. And the reporters started commiserating because for them, no news was bad news. All were facing empty-handed return trips to their shitty desk. And one of them just simply said, hey, I ought to just make up a story and hand it in. The other three laughed. Someone suggested they all talk over at the Oxford Hotel and go over there and have a drink, and they did. And Jack said he liked Al's idea about faking a story. Why didn't each of them fake a story and get off the hook? What they needed was one real whopper they could all use. They couldn't use a, pho a phony domestic story. It would be too easy to check it out. So they began discussing foreign angles that would be difficult to verify. After all, there was no internet and all in 1899. Some of y'all remember that, right? <laughs> so they so this discussed a foreign angle. China was far enough away. They would write about China. Try this on, said one of them, group of American engineers stopping over in Denver en route to China. The Chinese government is making plans to demolish the Great Wall. Our engineers are bidding on the job. They're tearing down the ancient boundary to symbolize the international goodwill to welcome foreign trade. And by 11 p.m., the four reporters had worked out the details of this preposterous story. And after leaving the Oxford bar, they would go over to the Windsor Hotel. They would sign four fictitious names to the hotel register. They told the desk clerk to tell anyone who asked that four men from New York had arrived that evening and been interviewed by the reporters had left early the next morning for California. The Denver newspapers carried the story, all four of them, front page. In fact, the Times headline that Sunday read, Great Chinese Wall Doomed, Peking Seeks World Trade. Well, the story was taken seriously. It was picked up and expanded by newspapers in the eastern United States and then by newspapers abroad. When the Chinese themselves learned that the Americans were sending a demolition crew to tear down their national monument, most were indignant, some were enraged, particularly incensed, were the members of a secret society, a volatile group of Chinese patriots who were already wary of foreign intervention. They exploded, rampaged against the foreign embassies in Peking, slaughtering hundreds of missionaries. In two months, 12,000 troops from six countries joined forces, invaded China with the purpose of protecting their own countrymen, the bloodshed which followed, sparked by a journalistic hoax invented in a bar room in Denver, became the white-hot international conflict known as the Boxer Rebellion. Sticks and stones may break some bones, but words can destroy. You've heard sticks and stones may break my bones, but 
Words will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie you've ever been told. One of the things James mentions is the discrepancy or the discrepant practice with the tongue. Look at verse 9. We bless God and Father, and we curse men who've been made in the image of God. And I want you to know he writes this, and here's how he writes this. This is how emphatic it is. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, this is not right. It's exactly how it's written. It's emphatic. Our prayer ought to be with the psalmist in Psalm 39.1. He said, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. Psalm 141 verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Folks, we've got to be careful what we say to people. It's a contradiction. I read about a little girl who crawled up in her dad's lap, put her arms around her daddy's neck, began to hug him. And when she did, she looked across the room and saw her little brother that she'd had a fight with earlier in the day. She's just holding, hugging her dad and sticking out her tongue at her brother. Her mom walks in and says, you get out of your dad's lap right now. And she says, why? And she says, young lady, you cannot love your father's neck and stick out your tongue at your brother at the same time. Same thing's true in a church. Oh, how I love Jesus, but oh, how I hate you. What's wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong. It's a heart issue. Now, let's get it out here in front. All of us are guilty, including me. All of us are guilty. Can you imagine how frustrated Adam and Eve must have been when they didn't have anybody to talk about? (laughs) Abraham Lincoln said, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Calvin Coolidge said, I have never been hurt by anything I did not say. But it's interesting that he mentions the tree in the spring does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. The answer is no. What determines what's coming out of that spring? The source. He said, you're not going to get figs off of a grapevine. So what determines what's coming off? The source. Is it a vine or is it a tree? The roots And the only thing that's really going to help tame our mouth is when our hearts stay right with Jesus. And you can't talk yourself into this. Only God can change the heart. You can know all the right stuff, but until you've committed your life to the Lord and He's come into your life that's portrayed in baptism. Baptism doesn't do it. Baptism shows that the old way of life is gone. You've been immersed in the righteousness of Jesus. He's given you a new heart, a new want to, a new life, and he begins to tame it. It'll be all our life before it's completely tamed. We get home, finally, we'll probably 
be able to control it. But we need to ask God to forgive us. Because what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And if your heart isn't right with the Lord, the wrong stuff's going to come out. But the good news is that God still loves you. And 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess, isn't it interesting you're going to talk to God? We confess our sin. He is, and it's a present tense verb, he's continuously just and continuously faithful to continuously forgive us of our sin. Aren't you glad he doesn't wash our mouth out with soap? <laughs> but he does convict us and say, Lord, I, I'm sorry for what I have said. I'm sorry for the way I've spoken to people. I'm sorry for the way that I say that I honor you, but, but my speech doesn't, it doesn't back that up. If you don't know Jesus, religious people, religious people don't get it. There's something about going through rituals and all that make people feel like they've done their duty. But Jesus didn't come to give us a ritual. He came to give us a relationship with God. And I went through the ritual of saying I do to Laura 44 years ago. But that's not what makes this marriage wonderful. It's the relationship. Some people just go through the motions, but you know, it's a relationship. If you don't know Christ, you ask God to forgive you. Ask Him. Why? Because Jesus paid for you. He paid your way. He died on the cross. He paid for your sin. He rose again. It's been conquered. You place your faith and trust. Your faith and trust, they're the same words. You place your trust in Jesus Christ. I'm, you're the only way, and I ask you to come into my life. I commit my life to you. You're the only way I trust you, Jesus. But I want you to change my life now. And God puts his spirit in you, and he changes everything. I mean, he changes everything. Amen. And you can have it right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, forgive us. for our loose tongues. Lord, we ask that you show us if there's anyone we need to apologize to. Help us to be conscious of what we say. And in this day of social media, people feel like they can say anything, God. And I pray that you'll help Christians not do that. But Lord, most of all, we want people to know you as Savior because if they trust you as their Lord and Savior, they're forgiven of their sin and your spirit lives in them and that changes everything. Convicts us when we're sinful. Your Spirit does, but thank you that you still love and forgive us. 
And Lord, right now, we're going to shut our mouths and listen to you. Because your spirit right now is speaking to hearts. And I pray that people's ears are listening to what you want them to do. Some at home or watching us on television need to give their life to you right now. And you're telling them that, that urgency they feel. You're speaking to them, inviting them. They may be in this room. I pray that you they will hear you. And Lord, those of us who are your kids, who are your children, your kids, help us, help us to live like it and talk like it. I pray you'll bring some more folks here. This church exists for you and for the people who aren't here yet and also this congregation. Lord, there are some need to be baptized. They just quit listening a long time ago. There's some who need to be saved. They're listening right now. You may have some, Lord, you're telling to be a part of Southcrest. I pray that this is the day that you'll bring them. Some need to be baptized. But Lord, we thank you that you always listen to us. We love you and we thank you for your forgiveness. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 